We continue talking about the, the things that Jesus has done, not just the things that Jesus has said. We want to be clear about one thing. Uh, I don't want to be misunderstood. We've, we've talked a few times about how Jesus has shocked people, right? Jesus has done things to shock people, and I don't want to send the message uh, that, that Jesus did things simply for shock value, right? Jesus didn't just like, hey, I'm going to lob a grenade into this group and, and stand back and watch the fun. Uh, but that we've seen that everything had a, a purpose uh, with, with what Jesus did. And the last four messages um, of our, our series, beginning uh, the last four starting today, uh, are, are going to qualify what we've talked about, the, the shock value, uh, that it wasn't for just shock value. Everything Jesus did was to get people to a place where they needed to be spiritually. Uh, and, and sometimes you have to move people in a, in a shocking way, right? And if you've had kids, you understand that. Sometimes we have to move people. Uh, and, and so we have to be a little dramatic. I, I saw a video of a, a, a guy whose uh, son was, I don't know if he had ever gone to college or if he just kind of hung out. And here's this, you know, adult uh, kid living at the house and... <laughs> And just the, the video was the dad running over his video games with the lawnmower, right? And the, and the kid is going berserk. Has anyone else seen that video? It's awesome. It's like, uh, but he's like, you, you know, he's got to get into his son's head. That, that, listen, you can't be, you know, 20-something years old living in my basement. And playing your stupid video games, right? So, so, so it was shocking, but the, it wasn't simply for the purpose of being shocking. Like, hey, you know what I'm going to go do today? I'm going to run over my son's video games. Uh, so <clears throat> uh, we are talking today about the concept of, of challenging. Um, that one of the things Christ always did was to challenge. Uh, now that word has several connotations, so uh, I want to define what I mean by that. A lot of times we, we think of the idea of challenging. Um, if you're chall- if you, especially you're a, a teacher, you challenge your students to, to achieve something. Um, we're going to look at that co- concept under a different sermon a little bit uh, later. But <clears throat> what we want to look at is the idea of challenging, meaning a confrontation. Right? When you challenge, we think of, in a negative sense, we think of challenging authority. Uh, right? that, that, those two phrases, the words go hand in hand. And we look at that as the, a confrontation. Well, we're not talking about challenging authority so much. But Jesus is going to come into confrontation, and that's, that, that tends to be shocking when, when you confront people about something. It's like, oh, what are you doing? Um, so... Um, but the two texts we are looking at, it, it's not the people he's addressing that he is challenging. But it's, it's in these two ideas or in these two exchanges with people that he is challenging something else. It's really more for the observers of the, of the, peop, uh, the, the people who are kind of there watching on that, that Jesus is confronting something. Um, To be influenced, P 
people have to trust that we can be objective, right, about something. And so sometimes we have to confront things that may be familiar to our, ourselves, our own faith. And so Jesus is going to confront things within the faith that he is a part of. Remember, Jesus is a Jew. Jesus has been raised as a Jew. He's kept the Jewish customs and, 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 and everything like that, just so long as that they were, you know, not the, the, the customs of, of added to it later. But, but Jesus has kept the customs that are necessary and that are required by the law. And so spouting a company line is not going to build confidence that, that you can be objective, that, that you can that be responsible for my soul. You, you're just saying what you're supposed to say. And so, so Jesus ends up confronting some things that are not authentic to his faith. And people want to see that we are not governed by a system that's established. So that's for that reason, you go to our website, right, which I suggest you do. There's a lot of good material on there. Um, <clears throat> you don't see what we believe. You can scroll down there. Yeah, that, that's common. Most churches have a what we believe page. I don't have one. I have a, a description of the gospel, but it's just a description of the gospel. But, but to sit there and write a list of what we believe suggests that, that we've reached a point at which we don't need to investigate things. Well, we're all good. Let's go home. I mean, we've arrived at, at, at truth, and, and we don't need to challenge thought. We don't need anybody to challenge me on anything. I've, I've, I've arrived. We don't have a religion that's a free-for-all. Uh, beginning this Wednesday night, by the way, uh, our midweek service is going to be here. Uh, we're going to be going through a, a book called Ships Without Rudders, and a lot of it has to do with uh, the way that a culture around us has, has created things that, that, that people feel are supposed to be a part of religion now. This party line that, that you're supposed to spout. Well, it's an idea that needs to be challenged. I want to turn to Matthew chapter 11 and begin there. <clears throat> Matthew 11. Beginning in verse 16. Matthew eleven sixteen, 16, he says... What will I liken this generation to? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling the, to their companions and saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance, we mourned to you and you did not uh, lament. For John came neither eating or drinking and they say, he has a demon and the son of man came eating and drinking. And they say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is justified by her children. And I want to draw your attention to something that may be obvious because if you've been tracking for the last two months, the series of our, uh, our, our the title of our series is the black letters, and it, you might notice that if you have a red letter edition, that there are no black letters here. 
if you're paying attention to that minor detail. The, the concept that we're trying to, to look at is the things that Jesus did. And even though Jesus entirely is speaking here, we're not going to focus on the things that Jesus is trying to teach. What I want to look at in this text is a quotation. Jesus is quoting something that other people have said. It is is the quote of what other people have observed that I want to focus on. So so in a weird way, it is black letters. It's, it's, It's something they have said about Jesus. Jesus is just citing it and bringing it up. I'm still wanting to shift our focus away from the doctrine of things that he's teaching. We could have filed this under things Jesus did to shock people. Right? Now, <clears throat> when we look at things that Jesus challenges, we could say, um, you know, there's a, the phrase, low-hanging fruit. That Jesus... Uh, Jesus is challenging stereotypes of people, right? And he's hanging out with with the people. But I want you to notice that Jesus does not challenge a stereotype. To challenge a a stereotype would be to indicate that the stereotype is incorrect. For example, if you have a person that follows the crowd, you'll say something like, uh, what are you, just a lemming, right? You ever heard that? Lemmings. Do you know lemmings don't commit suicide? Right? Where did that idea come from? It's completely wrong. Oh, it comes from Disney. Disney made a movie in 1958, a documentary. And what they did is they, they, they purchased a bunch of lemmings, about 20 or 30 of lemmings from uh, a place, they bought them from Inuit children, and they, they took them over to where there were cliffs and got them really dizzy, and Disney did this, and, and herded them off the cliff to make this documentary, which now everybody thinks that, that they commit suicide. They, they don't. It's completely made up for a video, a nature video. And we all have this perception that the stereotype is incorrect. <laughs> and we use that. It's a part of our lexicon. The incorrect. You should challenge that stereotype. You can call me a lemming. I don't jump off cliffs. Neither do they. <laughs> but Jesus said nothing about these groups of people. They don't indicate that he said anything about these groups of people. Jesus just kept company with them, and that was the big crime. He does challenge something, a couple of somethings, but Jesus never says anything about the stereotype. Most stereotypes are stereotypes because there's a significant amount of truth to them. Right? That's why we have stereotypes. Not all stereotypes, as we said. Is this one fair? Yeah. He's hanging with sinful people. Certain people in society are considered notorious. And there's a reason. 
they do things that are not generally good for a society. If you are in a community with a lot of substance abuse, you're going to have a higher crime rate. That's a fact. Right? That, that's just, it goes hand in hand. The stereotype is not wrong. It's amazing. You, you look at those maps and you go three blocks over and you're in a nice neighborhood. This is crazy. Like, wow, this is a good neighborhood. It's, it's, like, it's like a quarter mile. What happened? Over here, they don't do these things. Guess what? There's less crime. Stereotype is right. But is it exclusively right? Is everybody in that you know, red area that way? No. A friend of mine lives in Louisiana. He's a preacher I went to, to college with. And we were talking. And I mean, he's in a very low income area in southern Louisiana. He said, and this means nothing to you because you don't know Jason. And he says, I fight racism every day in myself. That would be like me saying I fight anorexia every day. You're like, oh, I didn't know you had a problem with that. <laughs> like, Jason is the last person you would think on this planet, if you met him, would have an issue here. And he said, Andrew, it's because there are enough people to justify it. There are enough people in my community that I could attach their race to their behavior but if I do that, there's going to be a lot of people that don't fit the stereotype. So stereotypes are generally true in certain areas and in certain things. In his community, it's generally true. But it's not universally true. Jesus says nothing about the stereotype. I want to look at what Jesus, by his actions, without saying a single thing, what he's challenging. Two ideas that Jesus, by his actions, without knowing a single thing he taught about these people, or said about these people, in keeping company, the first thing he challenges that your past is proportional to your privilege. That you get the right to, to, to be connected to Jesus based on your past. Jesus is not necessary. I'm keeping company with the people who, who according to the stereotype, should have less of a connection to me. Because I am so holy. But I'm keeping company, and I'm deliberately keeping company, not just for shock value, but I'm directing greater efforts towards the disreputable. I'm inversely proportional to what you would expect. He never argued that they were guilty. Much to the contrary, because of their greater guilt, he was directing greater efforts there. 
in a weird way, he's confirming the stereotype. That's the first thing. Your past is proportional to your privilege. The second thing is that company determines conduct. No, and this is a little bit challenging because we know 1 Corinthians 15.33, bad company corrupts good morals. Don't we? That's a biblical statement. Is Jesus challenging a biblical statement? No. No, he's not. Paul, when he writes that, we need to keep in mind what Paul is writing about. Paul is writing about other Christians. Paul is saying, don't keep company with other Christians. With Not specifically their behavior, though that would be applicable, but he was specifically teaching about brothers with incorrect doctrine who denied that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. He's like, watch out who you keep company with because what they teach is going to affect the way you behave. And that's really what he was driving at. Paul, Jesus isn't addressing that. Jesus is not determining his behavior or his associations based on that. Paul even said, listen, if I said, if I was talking about worldly people, I would, you would have to leave the world to not hang out with those people. Paul was agreeing with Jesus. Jesus hung out with those same people. So, so, so Jesus wanted to get at one thing, and Paul wanted to get at one thing, and they, they were really two different topics. How then, even though there is a tendency, we tell our kids, don't hang out with those kids. You're going to turn out like them. There's some general tendencies that tend to be true. How then do you avoid that? And how did Jesus avoid that? Hanging out with the most notorious in a society. Well, the first thing is that he lives deliberately amongst them. He's not just hanging out. Just for the sake of hanging out. His association was with a purpose. Another, he was there to do the influencing. He was not there to be influenced. And he understood what he was there to do. When Christ is associating with sinners... And you watch him. Watch him throughout his ministry. They feel a little uncomfortable. You can tell that they just feel like, like, you shouldn't be with me. I shouldn't be with you. We shouldn't be in the same place. There's, there's a behavior that he keeps and a standard he keeps. I worked, um, when I was in college, I worked at a, a third shift, which is really hard to do when you're in college, but <clears throat> at a soda bottling plant. I was a cleanup crew. And... Um, so, so there's all the forklift drivers and everything they're setting up for the next day while we're, we're cleaning all the, all the lines down. And, and um, so I had, a, I had my hat, and one of the guys came. Uh, he was a nice guy, Dave, and, and uh, he, he put a thing, because they, they knew where I went to school. And, and he, my, so my nickname, everybody had a nickname. Mine was Preacher. And, uh, and, and, and 
I would, I would walk in and they would be telling a story and I was you know, oh, preacher, you can't use those words or something. I'm like, if they're wrong to use, I'm not like this special holy person that makes those words wrong to use in my presence. Right? You should either use them or not use them. But there's something about Christianity when people are around it that they, it, it starts to affect them. And, and, and being in Christ's presence really affected people. Like, ooh, I'm going to pay back four times what I stole from people. Like, <laughs> like, I really feel bad about what I've done. Jesus was there not to tell people they weren't guilty, but to motivate them to not be guilty. He was the influencer in the group. Matthew chapter 12. I hope I wrote that right. Yes, Matthew 12, 9 beginning. It says, He had departed from there, and he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they could accuse him. And he said to them, What man is there amongst you who has one sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, won't lift it up. Well, then how much more value is a man than a sheep? So therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. And the Pharisees went on and then, of course, plotted against him how they could destroy him. So again, we see Jesus teaching. And even the topic of what he is handling, we're going to address, but more from the perspective of what he does than, than what he says. It's an amazing, a miracle, of course. Easily visible as being a miracle. Jesus again answers their objections in a way that they don't have an answer for. So, so the only thing for them to do is go back to their old playbook. Let's try to kill him again. But if we turn down the volume on what Christ is saying, we see him challenging something. Two somethings. He challenges, first of all, their hypocrisy. To understand this without listening to Jesus. Because we, we see that in the teaching. But we, we see that even without it, if we just back up to earlier in the day. If we go back a little bit earlier in the chapter, in verse 1 and 2, they, they are waiting. And they're, they're with the group. They're, they're, this, they're like this parasitic group that follows Jesus around. They're kind of in the group. That's what they... And they're always looking for something. And they're always in this group. And you can't get them out. 
So they're going through a field on a Sabbath day, the same Sabbath day, just the same day, and, and they, they grab some grain. They're hungry. They've been walking. And so, so what they do is that you just grab a head of, of wheat and you, you kind of do this. And, um, and you kind of let the chaff fall out. It's like, like when you get to the bottom of the peanut can, right? Like uh, all that nasty stuff, and you kind of shake it out so you can just have the peanuts. Right? That's kind of what they've done, is kind of do that, and, and they just eat a couple of grains of wheat, which to me sounds gross, but I guess if you're hungry. And they defined that as harvesting and threshing. That's what the apostles have done. Like, you've really got... You really got to be trying to get there to get there. That's really, really ticky-tack. What hypocrisy. That they would define that as work, but pulling, you know, a several hundred pound animal out of a ditch, not work. Now, if this was me, me being me. I probably have waited a couple of Sabbaths, you know, let that one cool over. Right in the same day. It's like Jesus is just, he's, he knows what they're doing. He's just like the same day. Little shock value. I heard you this morning. Watch this. Let's see what you do with this one. He knows what they're trying to get at. He doesn't lay low. It would be tempting to try to lay low. And Jesus is aware of what they're going to say when it comes to this handicapped man. And so he does kind of lob a grenade in there. See what you do with this one. But he challenges beyond that, he challenges traditions. And we kind of addressed this, that the things that are added to the law. He was not breaking the Sabbath. Jesus never broke a Sabbath a day in his life. His disciples didn't break the Sabbath. That's not what the Sabbath was intended to do, was to starve people. So I want to be cautious when we talk about traditions. Much like shock for shock's sake, we don't go around overturning every tradition just for the sake of overturning tradition. Not all tradition is evil. But what traditions do we see him violate? Specifically, they fall into a couple of categories. There's a couple of things that identify the traditions that Jesus always violates. Number one, they are those that redefined what God had given. Something that it was never intended to be. Threshing. Jesus, that had never been on God's mind. God's law was for them to take a day off of work and not think about making money seven days a week. One day a week, you're going to think about spiritual things. This does not prevent that. That's what God wanted them to do. And it had been 
redefined so that they could use it as a tool to coerce people into behaviors that they thought necessary. Making money. Precisely what God had wanted them not to think about. They used these traditions to do that. The second thing, the type of tradition that he violated was, was traditions that hurt people. God never established laws that were designed to come out. The final result was that people were supposed to be hurt. And so we said, what is good? Or even animals. Listen, did you think God designed a, a, a law for the Sabbath? He said, sorry, cow. I know you're very important to my plowing, but I can't plow today. I can't pull you out today. Even though I'm going to need you to plow tomorrow when it's legal. That's, I'm going to have to put you down. Sorry. That's not the intent of the law. And then there are, kind of similarly, those traditions that became larger than God's word. Not just redefining it, but so important. But the spiritual things underneath it were not considered. It becomes an entity in and of itself. The tradition. We do this. We have traditions that become so important. It might have, it might have started as something spiritual related, but, but the tradition becomes a thing in and of itself that we must do. God says, those types of things need to be challenged. If you think about traditions today, the ones we want to challenge, how do we identify those? Well, most traditions, not all, most traditions tend to prohibit things, not require things. Just pay attention. Pay attention to the list. A friend of mine says, uh, you know, every church has a list. Actually, it wasn't a friend of mine. It was my wife's brother. We were talking. He's like, every church. He's like, I've been involved in churches all over the place. They have a list. It's like five things. The list is different. But one of the things you noticed, and I, I thought about it. I'm like, yeah, what was the list where I grew up? Five things. Seven things. We were ambitious. But they're all you can't do things. Every one of them. No Christmas. No TV. It was, it was no this, no this. So, the first thing is they prohibit, and, and secondly, they rely on a, a skin of biblical support. Just, just enough. And if you say, if you challenge this verse, then they run to a different verse. And there's like, there's like a couple of verses. And then when it comes down to it, they just say, well, this is the way we do it. 
Uh, that's really at the, at the root of tradition. There was a conversation that was relayed to me. Uh, someone was talking about what church should look like. What church should look like. That, that varies, I can tell you. That varies a lot from where you go to different places in the country. And uh, this person had a very European, Anglo-Saxon view of church. And it's, it's like, my, my, I, I wish I could have been into the conversation. It was related to me, and I wanted to like, find the person to go into the conversation. Like, ah! Because I've got the perfect response. My, my, my thought was like, what do you do if you go to Jamaica? Where it don't look white Anglo-Saxon. I mean, you stroll in and it's, it's shorts and it's black socks and sandals and syncopated clapping and all sorts of stuff going on. What do you do? And, and, and kind of, this had been a, somewhat addressed in the conversation that was relayed. And the person's kind of response to the way it was phrased to them was, they just need to mature. We've got it figured out. Church was designed by God to pretty much be this. That's what we do. That's tradition. And it, it becomes its own thing. You have to mature and be like American church. That's really what God designed when he designed the church. He had 21st century America in mind. It's like, go to Staten Island. Go to Queens. <laughs> go to Jamaica, Queens. <laughs> And Jesus showed throughout his ministry he was not above doing things differently. And quite frankly, he didn't care how it affected the people around him if he was making a spiritual point. If he was helping people in the long run. He didn't just throw bombs, like I said, just for the sake of it. But he wanted people to know, listen, I'm reliable. I'm challenging the things that need to be challenged. You can trust me with your souls. And people are looking. Are, are my traditions more dear to me than their souls are? Am I willing to do things that make me uncomfortable? Because if people think that the things that I do and the way that I do them... <clears throat> Just because that's the way I've done it since I was a kid and that's the way I was trained and whatever. If that's more important to me than their souls, they're not interested. We need to challenge those things that have become a part of our religion. Religion's not a bad word, but the, the, the things that have been added to the, the practice of what I believe in can become so entrenched in my life that they are more important than the things I believe in, if that makes sense. God does not care about traditions. And He doesn't care about your stereotypes. And He doesn't care about people's past.
in the sense that it prevents him from being associated with them. He cares about your past. He's, he died to get rid of it. Yes, he cares about people's past. But it doesn't prevent him from being connected. And, and we should follow the same example. Certainly, if Christ was willing, if Christ in his great holiness was willing to associate with people and to give up what was a part of his eternity, well, we should be able to, to give up those things that would keep us from association with people who desperately need uh, the gospel.